Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I'd like to welcome you again as we continue to study this wonderful book of Ruth. Let's look to God in prayer. Lord, we come to you acknowledging that you are the eternal God, the author of the book of Ruth, the revealer of the hidden treasures that are in the book of Ruth. Lord, the rejoicer of our hearts. So thrill our hearts today as we open this book to find wondrous things that you have for us in the book of Ruth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you follow along here as I'll read the first five verses of Ruth chapter one. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilian died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, we've already started this study in the book of Ruth, and as we stood there at the gates of the book of Ruth, on the outside, we're still there, and we're we're just looking at it just as a whole before we enter into the gates. And we're still standing there at the gates of Ruth, is really similar to standing at the gates of the gospel. Because in this book, we have a great indication of a reconciliation here. It's a great indication of the reconciliation between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Because Ruth, the Moabitess, the Gentile, the super Gentile, gave birth to the grandfather of the Jewish people's greatest king, King David. She gave birth to the grandfather of King David. And the book of Ruth now stands for us, as we stand at the gates of the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is also standing at the gates of the gospel. And it's showing us, the book of Ruth is showing us this wonderful, inclusive, in-gathering of the Gentiles. How the Lord Jesus Christ is the gatherer of lost men. He's the gatherer of his people, the Jewish people. He's the gatherer of his Gentile people, of the Gentiles. Just as he said in John chapter 4, verse 34 through 35, where we read, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to the harvest. 
And now, when he said those words, what was he doing? When he said those words to his Jewish disciples, what was he doing? He was looking at a large group of Gentiles. He was looking at a large group of Samaritans. They were coming out of the city because of the words of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. This is John chapter 4. And because of her, what she said, because of her testimony, there was a great group of men who were coming out of the city and they were trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the harvest that he was telling his Jewish disciples about, that he was referring to, the harvest was a harvest of Gentile Samaritans. And the book of Ruth shows us what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said these things to them in John chapter 4. He not only said that in John chapter 4, he also said something very similar along the same lines in John chapter 10, verse 16, where he said, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now again, he spoke of the Gentiles as the other sheep. He spoke of his possession of those Gentile believers when he said, other sheep I have. He made it clear that those other sheep were not of the Jewish fold, not of this fold, but he said the imperative, just like he did before in John chapter 4, when he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In the same way, he said, them also I must bring, in John chapter 10, verse 16. And then he said that, He would bring them by them hearing his voice. He said, they will hear my voice. And then he said, there's going to be one fold. There's going to be one group of believers. There's not going to be a separate church for uh, the Gentile church, the church made up Gentiles and the Jewish church. No, he said there's going to be one church, one fold made up of Jews and Gentiles. Starting all the way back, that group of his own, his believers started all the way back with Adam. When Adam heard the voice of God saying, Adam, where art thou? And he responded and yielded himself and let the Lord Jesus Christ, he let the Lord Jesus Christ clothe them with those skins. And he became part of the one fold, Adam did, that was brought as well. So the book of Ruth shows us that the other sheep that he's referring to, which were his sheep, they're Gentiles. And they're not of the Jewish fold. And that's what's contained in the book of Ruth. Ruth, as a Gentile believer, incorporated into the most important bloodline in Israel. She was incorporated. She was included. She was a part of the most important bloodline in Israel that not only generated the greatest king of Israel, King David, but also generated the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was born in flesh. So the book of Ruth shows us 
what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And like we said, there's no such thing as a Gentile fold of believers and a Jewish fold of believers. There's only one. They're all one in Christ. There's no spiritual Israel that are Jewish people. There's no spiritual Israel that are Gentile people. There's one fold of spiritual Israel made up of Jews by physical birth and Gentiles by physical birth, both of whom have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Now, it's the book of Ruth that causes us to understand what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 when Paul said these words. Wherefore, remember, and he was speaking again to Gentiles, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by the hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, see, that was the past. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both, Jews and Gentiles, made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us of Jews and Gentiles, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, in other words, the hatred, the prejudice, the despising between the two groups. In his flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now we're going to see that Ruth becomes, as she becomes a believer, and God gathers Ruth in during a terrible time in Israel's history. This is a really bad time in Israel's history. And that will be a lesson for us as we see how bad it was a time when this all happened, because as it looks right now for our country, for our city, for our world, God save our country, God save our city, God save our world. It is no less worse than what it was for Israel at that time during the time when they had no king and there was oppression from their enemies all around. It looked really bleak for Israel at that time. And in the midst of that bleakness, we're going to see God was at work bringing in a harvest of a woman named Ruth, a Moabitess named Ruth. And God's focus as it was on that Samaritan woman in John 4 is is now on this Moabitess woman, Ruth, and God's meat was to, was to bring them in, bring her in, bring her in, bring them in. And as bleak as it looks right now for our country, our world, and our city, God is now focused on and doing the work of bringing in a wonderful harvest of lost souls, as he did in Ruth. This is also a message of the book of Ruth. And the time when this history happened of Ruth, when it took place in Israel's history, was a very unique time. It was a bad time time to be forgotten, but it was a bad time. It was a, t- it was a time 
before there was a king in Israel. It was the time before the time of Israel's history, which was called the time of the kings. And this unique time when Ruth was happening here has a description in verse 1. And please notice carefully this description in verse 1 of this time period when it says this period was called the days when the judges ruled. The days when the judges ruled. That's a description of this time period in Israel's history, the days when the judges ruled. But there's also another description for this same period in Israel's history, and it's found in in the book of Judges, and by the way, it's generally believed that the book of Ruth is occurring somewhere between Judges chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. But in the book of Judges, in chapter 17, verse 6, we read these words, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Let me read that again. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's repeated again in Judges 21, 25, when it says, again, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Why did every man do that which was right in his own eyes? Because there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel, because there was no authority in Israel, because there was no king in Israel, there was no authority in Israel, there was no leader in Israel, there was no leader to guide the Jewish people and to tell them, that's wrong, that's right. Each person decided that based on what he was doing, that that was right. Why? Because he was doing it. That became the basis for him deciding what was right and wrong because he was doing it. I just read a, a nice booklet that was uh, uh, put out recently, and, it was, and the title was uh, Gay Marriage, Who Decides? Gay Marriage, Who Decides? Very similar to this. Each person decided that what he was doing was the definition of what was right. Each person looked at his own life, and he looked at himself And he said, you know, I just want to be free from this burdensome feeling that I'm under, this feeling of guilt. I hate feeling guilty. And so whatever I'm doing, it's making me feel guilty, and I just don't want to feel that anymore. And he looks at himself and he says, you know, I just want to be free from this burden of feeling ashamed. I feel so ashamed inside, and I just want to be free from that. Why was he feeling ashamed? Because of what he was doing he felt was not right. And so, man here makes a great discovery. What's the discovery? He discovers the way. He discovers the way to at last be free from feeling guilty. All this guilt, I finally discovered the way to be done with it. Because I feel guilty because I've been doing what I felt was not right. And he finally felt the way to rid himself of this horrible feeling of of being ashamed. He said, why did he feel ashamed? Because he was doing what he felt was not right. And he discovered that the problem that was his feeling for what he was not, what he was doing was not right. That was the problem. So the solution is very simple. The solution is change what is right and wrong. And now the definition of what's right was what he did. If he did it, it was right. 
Why? Because he did it. And this new way of defining what's right is described in Proverbs 21.2, where we read, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. See, that's a description. If you did it, it's right. Why? Because you did it. That's Proverbs 21.12. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. So from now on, in this time period here, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. This is the Proverbs 21-2 period in Israel's history. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. If he did it, it's right. It's right because I did it. That defines it. And the Bible gives a name to the person who does this. The Bible gives a name to the person who defines what is right by what he does. And that's found in Proverbs 12-15, where we read, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The name of that person is a fool. God gives that name to the person who defines right by what he does, and he says that person is a fool. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. When man defines what's right by what he does, That's a serious self-deception. It's a disease. It's a description of a disease of the heart. And it's described for us in Jeremiah 17, 9, where we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The problem stated, the diagnosis given is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then the dilemma, we oftentimes talk about that in in medical diagnosis, the diagnostic dilemma. The dilemma is, the next part, who could know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Then the solution, and thank God there is a solution. There is a solution, and that is the next verse. Because the problem is, What can be done about this self-deceptive heart that's wicked above all things? What can be done about the problem of self-righteousness? And the next verse in Jeremiah 17 gives us the answer. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. The solution is God. When I don't know what's really right or wrong because I hear the world saying everybody's doing it so it's right and, and I'm confused, what do I do? God. God says, I, the Lord, do search the heart. God is the solution. He's the one that defines what is right and what is wrong. The solution is God who searches the heart. The solution is God's counsel that makes a person wise, as it says in that verse we just read in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The solution is to come before God and say, here I am, Lord, here's my heart, search it. Lord, give your verdict. I need your verdict. I don't care what I think. I don't care what others say. I I only care about what you say. It's really to come before God with the Proverbs 21.2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. He thinks over it. 
He mulls over it. He takes time. Don't you love it when you go to a doctor and the doctor may just want a little, you're, you're with him and you can see the doctor just kind of focused and he, he may be listening to you or he may be just focused and intent on looking at, at data and stuff. And, he, and what is he doing? He's pondering. He's pondering the situation. That's the scene here when it says the Lord pondereth the hearts. And the solution is we come to God with the words of Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, where it says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the solution right there. The solution are the words. Search, O God, search God, not me, but you. Search me, Lord. Come in. I'm waiting for you in the doctor's office, the room there for the patients. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting patiently, Lord, like for the doctor, for when the doctor opens the door to that room. Lord, I'm waiting for you to open the door of my heart and then search me. When the doctor says, take your shirt off, let me listen to your heartbeat. Lord, listen, search, ponder, Lord, know my heart and know my thoughts. Not just, Lord, what I'm doing, but what I'm thinking. Put that through there also, Lord. Look carefully. Give me an examination far more penetrating than an MRI or a CAT scan. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. And then, Lord, when you do and you ponder over me, as it says, then see. See, Lord. Is there any wicked way in me? See, Lord, look. And then the doctor comes back and says, I see this growth, I don't like this or whatever. And then, of course, every patient wants to know, what's the treatment? What's the therapy? And so this is where David said, lead me in the way everlasting. That's the solution to the problem. But this time, during the history of Ruth that's taking place here, people are doing that which is right in their own eyes when there was no king. You and I will do what's right in our own eyes when we have no king. That sign over the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was vitally important, not just for the people who were there, not just for the nation, the Jewish nation, but for you, for me, for us. That sign, the king of the Jews, not just the king of the Jews, my king, King Jesus. And to the measure that we own the Lord Jesus Christ as our king, to the same measure, will be kept from doing that which is right in our own eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ is our king. He tells us, that's right, that's wrong. It doesn't matter what it is in your eyes. It matters what he says. Now, notice how in verse 1, there's a certain relationship between two statements. Ruth Ruth, uh, 1.1. The days, it says here, the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. When the people did that which was right in their eyes, what happened? The rain rain stopped falling. The rain stopped falling. That land, all the land, is absolutely 100% dependent on water. And when the rain stops falling, the crops fail, and there's a famine. And just imagine how these people felt as they, they looked out at those crops. And those crops, those fields used to be big producers, produce. They were abundant 
big time producing production there. And so much in the past, but now just nothing. And all because of one word, rain. Rain. No rain, no crops. No rain, crops fail. And when God gave the Jewish people manna that sustained them during their 40-year wanderings in the desert, there's an interesting verb that's used to describe just how God gave them the manna. And that verb is found in Exodus 16.4. It says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, and this, was, this is God telling him how he's going to give this manna. He says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.